Thanks for downloading the Tudor and Stuart Ireland Conference podcast. The conference took place in University College Dublin on the 2nd and 3rd of September 2011 and saw over 50 speakers from Ireland and beyond come together to share their ideas in an interdisciplinary forum. In association with HistoryHub.ie, the majority of the papers are available for podcasting via the HistoryHub.ie website and on iTunes. In this episode, a recording of a paper by Dr Aoife Dignan. Dr Dignan's PhD thesis, All in a Confused Opposition to Each Other, Politics and War in Connacht, 1641-49, to is a study of Ireland's remote western province at a time of major political, military and social upheaval. She has contributed to the edited collections Community in Early Modern Ireland and The Scots in Stuart Ireland. Her paper is entitled Clanrickard and the Royalist Cause in Connacht. Ulick Burke, 5th Earl and 1st Marquess of Clanrickard, was a significant actor at lo- local, national and three kingdoms level throughout the upheavals of the 1640s. King Charles I's most prominent supporter in Connacht remained apart from his provincial co-religionists following the outbreak of violence in 1641 and would resist consistent pressure to join with the Catholic Confederate Association as the decade progressed. A comprehensive examination of Clan Rickard's experiences during the 1640s affords many fruitful avenues of investigation. For example, tensions in his relationship with Connacht Confederates, his efforts to negotiate a peaceful settlement at provincial and national level, his continued utilisation of influential networks in England to preserve his interests. However, this paper concentrates on one aspect of his experiences during the period, the quest for official recognition of his efforts in defending the royalist cause in Connacht, culminating with his being conferred with a marquisate and an appointment to the Privy Council in 1645. In this context, we will consider the importance of honours bestowed by the Crown in the midst of this political and military crisis. Of Anglo-Norman ancestry, the Clanrickard Burks were long numbered among Ireland's most influential families. Ulick spent most of his early life in England, where he cultivated influential connections, including his stepbrother, the future Parliamentarian General, Robert Devereux, 3rd Earl of Essex. Those links and his long residence at court afforded him access to Charles I. On his father's death, Ulick inherited his English properties at Summerhill in Kent and extensive Irish lands within Connacht and beyond. He also assumed the governorship of Galway Town and County. Despite his long residence in England, he was well connected at provincial and national level in Ireland and active in Irish politics. Those connections, which transcended communal boundaries, ensured that he would occupy a pivotal role during the 1640s. Having fought for the King in the First Bishop's War, Clanrickard came to Ireland in September 1641, taking up residence at the estate house built by his father in Portumna, East Galway. He thus witnessed at first hand the outbreak of the 1641 Rising. As, as violence spread from Ulster into Connacht, Clanrickard was active in defence of the King's cause, but grew increasingly frustrated at his isolation and what he perceived as neglect by central government. Following the outbreak, Clanrickard assembled prominent Galway gentlemen to coordinate the raising of an army which he would command. He was proactive in defending his jurisdiction, travelling the breadth of the county to ensure that fortifications and garrisons were up to standard. However, a shortage of resources inhibited his efforts. At the end of 1641 and throughout the first half of 1642, 
Clan Rickard made repeated complaints to the administration about the lack of men and supplies in Connacht and targeted influential connections, but relief was not forthcoming. Clan Rickard viewed this neglect as a personal affront and attributed it to official suspicions of his Catholicism. His situation was not helped by his location far from the epicentre of political power, while his relatively recent arrival in the province, and indeed in Ireland, must have contributed to his sense of isolation. His material interests suffered as the collection of rent and levies from his lands were interrupted by rude and disorderly persons, while he supported various companies out of his personal finances. In 1644, he described himself as forsaken or forgotten by his English allies, viewed with suspicion by the Irish government, and hated and scorned by the natives for my opposition to their ways. Clanricard's sense of isolation was exacerbated as supporters of the English Parliament gained a foothold within Connacht Protestant society, resulting in a considerable erosion of the king's traditional support base within the province. In September 1643, Ormond brokered an agreement with the Confederates, suspending hostilities, but the truce was beset by difficulties from the outset, as the application of its terms proved contentious for Connacht Protestants. Late autumn saw Protestant garrisons in North Connacht contravene its terms. Unrest intensified in 1644, acquiring a sharper significance with constant rumours of an invasion by local planter and Scottish forces garrisoned in Ulster. While the mass invasion predicted did not occur, the prevailing climate of uncertainty and paranoia had a destabilising influence on the behaviour of the local Protestant population. Prominent figures defected to the parliamentary cause. By early 1645, royalist support in Connacht would be limited to a small party surrounding the presidential seat at Athlone, three baronies within Clan Rickard's sphere of influence and a small number of his castles on the frontiers. Maintaining an increasingly lonely struggle in defence of the king's cause in Connacht made official recognition of his efforts crucial. Despite Clan Rickard's prominence within Connacht royalism, his influence on the ground was not reflected in the official delineation of authority. On the 27th of April 1644, the King directed that the office of Provincial President be granted to Henry Viscount Wilmot and Thomas Viscount Dillon. Two individuals were chosen because of Wilmot's role in the Royalist Army in England. Wilmot's subsequent dismissal saw Dillon function as the primary agent of royal governance in Connacht. Following the appointment, ambiguities would arise over the respective spheres of influence of the new incumbents in Clan Rickard. Reacting to the appointment, Clan Rickard expressed his own good opinion of Dillon, but articulated concerns about how the local population would receive the new president, suggesting that the appointment would be interpreted as a slight against Clan Rickard himself. He described Dillon as very distasteful to the English and not acceptable to many of the natives, and argued that he himself might have enjoyed greater acceptance due to a closer affinity with those of English descent in the province. Ormond also articulated reservations about the appointment, intimating that Clan Rickard might have been the more suitable choice. It is likely that Clan Rickard's expressions of anxiety were influenced by his own sense of grievance at not having been offered the appointment. Unlike Clan Rickard, who had defended the King's cause on the ground in Connacht, 
Dylan had been absent from Ireland since November 1641. While Clanrickard had dismissed reports that he desired the presidency in March 1644, stating that his current position caused him enough disturbance, by mid-June he described it as the only job that could have enhanced his usefulness to the king. While he claimed to have accepted the appointment, his tone was one of martyred resignation, declaring, It is my duty to remain satisfied therewith, and to contain myself within those limits that are allowed to me. Alongside injury to his ego, Dillon's appointment raised questions about Clanrickard's official status in the province. George Digby wrote in May 1644 of the King's desire that Clanrickard should receive an official position, but added that nothing could be decided until Wilmot and Dillon had been consulted. He subsequently wrote that both men were happy for Clanrickard to be given the command-in-chief of the forces in Connacht, suggesting a general belief that Clanrickard would have more clout on the ground. However, Clanrickard was anxious that no confusion of authority should arise between himself and the new president, expressing an unwillingness to encroach upon Dillon's sphere of governance. Alluding to rumours that he might be offered martial command in the province, the Earl made it explicitly clear that he was wary of such a command, on the grounds that it would burden him with the duties of leadership, but deny him any of the accompanying power and prestige. Thus, he was determined that he should not be encumbered with further military responsibilities, without some public acknowledgement of his services to the Royalist cause. Despite Clanrickard's public protests that he had lacked an interest in the presidency, his correspondence indicates a desire that his efforts receive official recognition. Writing to Ormond in late 1643, Clanrickard's close associate, Justice James Donlan, argued that the Earl be endowed with some public mark of His Majesty's favour. Reacting to Donlan's endeavours, Clanrickard wrote to Ormond, playing down his own desires in this regard. Ultimately, he asserted, knowledge of the king's good opinion was sufficient. While he acknowledged that he would appreciate recognition, this was not for his own private satisfaction, but because it would bolster his influence in war-torn Connacht. A royal intervention could help remove any perception that he was estranged from the king, in turn encouraging his followers and attracting others to their cause. Ultimately, however, he would leave it to Ormond's judgment whether the time was right to make such an application. However, Clanrickard is more forthright in contemporary correspondence with Donlan, commending the efforts made on his behalf. He makes specific reference to his desire to become Lord Treasurer of Ireland and then a Privy Councillor, which he felt would be supported by Ormond. Such appointments would suffice in the immediate term and would not obstruct his future advancement. While Donlan favoured seeking a marquisate for Clanrickard, the Earl perceived a number of impediments. He felt that Ormond might not be supportive, as he might expect that only he should hold this title due to his position within Irish royalism. Clanrickard feared such advancement would be distasteful to the English peers on account of his already holding an estate and honour in England, and as such would not be in the king's best interest. Furthermore, he declared himself unable to support such an increase in honour because of his indebtedness and the spoiling of his estates in Ireland and England. Finally, he confessed that his pride was such that he did not wish to be seen to seek this honour unless he was certain of it being bestowed. Clanrickard's royalist masters were aware of the need to bolster his reserve, 
and his efforts received official recognition when he was created a Marquis on the 21st of February 1645. In June, he received a notification of his appointment to the Privy Council. However, controversy accompanied those honours, highlighting the rivalries that existed within the upper echelons of Irish royalism. Earlier that year, another prominent Connacht royalist, Theobald Taff, had sought appointment to the Privy Council. Digby responded that in the event of a Catholic appointment, only Clonrickard could be considered due to his widespread popularity, which extended to the Protestant population. Taff was apparently unhappy with this response, objecting that he was held in equally high regard. Clanrickard's creation as a Marquis was surrounded by a dispute over the order of precedence with Randall MacDonald, newly, cre- newly created as the Marquis of Antrim. When it was decided in Antrim's favour, Clanrickard's English allies, including his sister, the Marchioness of Hertford, had initially sought to prevent Clanrickard's patent from going ahead. Clanrickard's subsequent correspondence suggests that he was somewhat divorced from the controversy piecing the details together through letters that managed to reach him from England. However, his writings indicate approval of the strategy adopted by his allies, and that for them to have done nothing would in truth have been the greatest of misfortunes that could befall me. Ultimately, however, his supporters decided that it was in Clanricker's best interest not to obstruct the patent, but that it should progress without his knowledge, on the basis that while the position was ultimately to his advantage, the slight to his honour was such that it could not be seen to be sanctioned by him. Precedence disputes were a regular feature of Irish political life during the first half of the 17th century. Clanrickard's father, the fourth Earl, was involved in a protracted precedence dispute with the neighbouring Earl of Thomond in the mid-1620s. Clanrickard himself was conscious of this controversy, referring to, referring to it in the context of Donlan's earlier suggestion that he seek a marquisate. Clanrickard commented that because such an honour would probably only apply to his line and not to other branches of his family, it would not bring any further advantage over the House of Thomond. Clanrickard's correspondence throughout the period reveals his preoccupation with his own sense of honour and that of his family. Therefore, it is not surprising that he should be perturbed by the advances of another, which diminished his own reputation. The fact that it was Antrim who was the other party to the controversy is significant in light of the diverging political military strategies pursued by both men during the period. In late 1643, Antrim had secured royal support for an invasion of Scotland using Confederate forces. The following March, Clanrickard expressed his concerns about this strategy, namely that Antrim's close public cooperation with the Confederates might harm the King's cause in in England. Less than two months later, however, he was drawing negative comparisons between official responses to his own and Antrim's efforts. Writing to Lord Cottington, he claimed that his absence from court, which was necessitated by his duties in Connacht, had allowed advantage to others, namely Antrim. Antrim had secured the promise of a marquisate in exchange for his efforts, and although not conferred with the title until the beginning of 1645, the impending honour was well known with some contemporaries referring to him as the Marquis of Antrim from January 1644. Clanrickard articulated his view that Antrim has not advantage over me, either in power or affection, to be employed in high and eminent commands. 
but the influence that he had secured caused Clan Rickard much distraction and for a time put great blemishes upon my person and proceedings. Andrum's willingness to openly engage with the Confederates is in marked contrast to Clan Rickard's more cautious approach. Clan Rickard was consistently anxious to document his efforts on behalf of royalism and desired that those efforts be presented in the best possible light. Always concerned that his actions might be negatively interpreted, he sought explicit parameters for any military cooperation with the Confederates. In April 1644, in the context of of a growing threat from Scots forces in Ulster, he submitted a number of propositions to Ormond, querying whether he might cooperate with Confederate forces, what form any military cooperation should take and what title he should assume, and whether military cooperation should be confined to Galway or extend across the province. Ultimately, while some official sanction was given for Clan Rickard's assistance of the Confederates in the event of an invasion from Ulster, from Clan Rickard's perspective, the proper nature of the relationship remained unclear. Almost a year later, in the midst of the Order of Priestons controversy, Clan Rickard received reports that Digby had criticised him for not taking up arms against the Scots in Ireland. Clan Rickard protested that he had not received clear instructions for such an expedition, and to undertake it would have required him to join with the Confederates without command or authority. Such a departure, Clan Rickard conceived, would have contravened his honour and loyalty. Had he viewed such a course as the best way to serve the king, then he might have received the same priority as Antrim. In this context, he expressed his continued unhappiness with Antrim's promotion, asserting that, now there can be nothing of merit in Clan Rickard or power of recompense in his majesty that will take off his disgrace. In Clan Rickard's determination that he received specific instructions on what would be deemed legitimate interaction with local confederates, we can see his absolute determination that his behaviour could not subsequently be depicted as rebellious. He had resisted confederate pressure to form- formally join their ranks, but as deteriorating conditions in the province rendered a degree of informal cooperation militarily expedient, he was anxious that embarking on this course should not prompt accusations of rebellion. Central in this regard was the security of his English lands in Kent and Hertfordshire. While Clan Rickard's role in brokering the 1643 cessation had resulted in a parliamentary order to confiscate his lands in November 1643, a subsequent order directed that the benefit of his states should be directed towards, his ha- towards the Earl of Essex. In this way, Essex was able to protect Clan Rickard's interests, as he had done from the outbreak of insurrection in Ireland. Despite Essex's marginalisation within the parliamentary camp from late 1643 on, Clan Rickard's interests remained relatively secure until summer 1646. However, should Clan Rickard be seen to act outside the law by entering into an unsanctioned military arrangement with the Connacht Confederates, it is unlikely that Essex would have been able or willing to continue as his protector. Clan Rickard's propensity for self-justification endured throughout the decade, and subsequent developments seemed to vindicate his concerns. With the prospect of any peace settlement at an impasse and deteriorating conditions in Connacht, Clanrickard resolved to leave Ireland in 1647. He wrote to his sister, the Marchioness of Hertford, requesting that she obtain material assistance for his resettlement abroad. However, she was unable to procure aid in England because of the negative reports in circulation about him, noting that 
Many take much offence at something in print that passed here as a great undertaking of yours without the Minister of State's knowledge. This is a reference to Clanrickard's efforts to advance a Royalist Confederate agreement following the collapse of the First Ormond Peace in 1646, which culminated with the Leinster Confederate General Thomas Preston and his officers pledging their support for a peace with additional concessions and securities proposed by Clanrickard. Despite the fact that the initiative had Digby's sanction, subsequent correspondence reveals Clanrickard's acute concern that he could be viewed as having acted without authority or that his actions might be misconstrued. Thus, he offered a lengthy justification for the agreement reached. However, the aforementioned reactions to his subsequent requests for assistance suggest that those justifications were in vain. Clanricker did not leave Ireland in 1647. Rather, he assumed an increasingly prominent role in the altered political military landscape following the negotiation of a royalist confederate peace and subsequent onset of the Cromwellian Wars. The progress towards an official recognition of his efforts on behalf of royalism is a relatively minor episode in a long and colourful public life. However, it offers an insight into Clanricker's character and the environment in which he operated. The solicitation of recognition from the king involving Clanricker and his fellow Irish royalists reveals the enduring significance of established hierarchies and rank in spite of the engulfing political and military upheaval. In fact, such Marx's status became even more important as Clanricard found himself financially stretched and politically isolated in the remote western province. Ever loyal servant to his king, and always anxious that he be perceived in this way, Clanricard was not vocal in seeking advancement, but it is clear that he was perturbed by ambiguities arising out of the presidential appointment on account of its impact on the Royalist war effort in Connacht and what it implied about his own position in the region. His resentment at the manner in which Antrim obtained precedence points to a dilemma at the heart of Clan Rickard's political strategy. He came under sustained pressure to ally with the Connacht Confederates, both from their agents and from elements within the Royalist camp as the threat from Parliament intensified. However, his inherent belief that Ireland must rally behind Charles I to ensure survival, and his awareness that the only hope for preserving his interests in Connacht and beyond was to avoid any hint of what might be termed rebellious activity, made him resistant to cooperation. He would not be in a position to enter into a formal alliance with the Confederates until 1648, when the political military landscape had altered to a sufficient degree to countenance such a departure. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed this HistoryHub.ie podcast. You can find many more podcasts by visiting the HistoryHub.ie website.